I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and you're listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church, a caring community connected through God, loving and serving all along life's journey. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10:15 a.m. in our sanctuary at 55 Rhodes Avenue, next to Bird Park in East Walpole, Massachusetts. You can also join us from anywhere online via our live stream by visiting facebook.com slash churchbythepark. For more information about our church and its ministries, visit churchbythepark.org. Now here's this week's message. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence will my help come? It comes from the Lord forevermore. God will keep us forevermore. This Sunday, many churches are marking Ascension Sunday. We did that last week because the Ascension is one of those things that falls in the middle of the week, so you got to choose which Sunday you're going to go for. Jesus was with his disciples for 40 days after the resurrection, but Pentecost didn't come until 50 days after the resurrection. And so I, I thought it was useful to remember those 10 days after the ascension, those 10 days when the disciples had all the promises, all the experiences that they'd had with Jesus, they had all those things firmly in their minds, and yet they were waiting. They were waiting. They spent their days in the temple worshiping, it says, but they were waiting. And I have to I have to think that that psalm came across their minds as they waited. From whence will my help come? Well, I will look up to the hills, for the Lord is our keeper. Our second reading today comes to us from Matthew's Gospel in the 25th chapter, verses 31 through 45. Let's continue to listen for God's word for us here today. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? The king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, so you did it for me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they too will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? He will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it, To one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, every once in a while, I'll be at home during the day, and I'll be in the kitchen doing the dishes, or maybe... Uh, at my desk, writing emails, or, or in the living room, reading a book. And a silence will fall over the house that is uncanny. Because when you have a four-year-old and an almost two-year-old, silence is not golden. <laughs> silence is suspicious. And so I will, I will seek them out and... and Sometimes I will find them with the door closed to to the boys' room, and I'll just wonder to myself, oh boy, what's happening on the other side of that door? But sometimes the door is cracked open such that I don't have to open the door and interrupt them, and I can just kind of glide by. And of course, there are those times when, you know, toys are being thrown around or Crayons have found their way onto the wall, or stickers are being applied God knows where. There are certainly those times. But there are other times, there are other times when they're doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. I couldn't hear them because they're speaking quietly to one another. The four-year-old giving the two-year-old toys, showing him what to do. Maybe they're reading a book together. And it's these moments where you're just like, you just, you just wonder at how good brothers can be to one another without, without you having to hover over them and, and fight with them and, and tell them, don't do that, you know, be nice, share. When they're doing the things that you tell them to do, even when you're not there. I want to hold that image in our hearts as we think about this passage. Because it is true that Matthew 25, 31 to 45 is about eternal punishment and eternal reward. It is about God's judgment, separating the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. It is about that. But it is also about the fact that even when we think God is not around, even when we think Jesus is far away in some other heaven, even when we think no one is watching, God is present even in the absence. Of course, this past week we saw, we saw the mirror image of that beautiful moment of love between siblings. We saw the mirror, the opposite of that in Uvalde, Texas. We saw children huddled together in silence in their rooms, not because they were playing nicely, but because they were afraid, terrified for their very lives. 
as a heavily armed, sin-sick young man roamed the halls. And in that world, in that mirror universe, we talk of hardening schools and, and arming teachers and making sure that those places are safe and hedged in by a hedge of protection built upon violence to repel the violence of the world because that's the only way to ensure peace and tranquility in those places. And indeed, Matthew 25 speaks to the way in which this world is filled with those who do not take seriously the commandment to love our neighbors. It is an apocalyptic vision, one for the end of days. It says, at the end of time when the Son of Man comes in glory, the sheep will be preserved and the goats will be condemned. And yet, and yet it is not just a message for the end of days. It is a reminder, just as Psalm 121 says, that the Lord is our keeper, even here and now, and that Christ calls us to be keepers of one another as well. The word keep is a very common one in the Old Testament. We see it here in the Psalms, but it appears all over. Sometimes it's translated as obey or guard or watch over. It's one of the things that God does. It's one of those verbs that's attached to the Lord all the time. The Lord keeps, the Lord guards, the Lord obeys. God marks God's own commitments to us at all times, it says. And so in turn, God's faithfulness calls us to our faithfulness. And so even though Jesus has ascended, he is still present in the absence of, Jesus, of, of, of his person, of his body. But in weeks like this, the question always becomes, how do we square that absence with the evils of this world? How do we square the fact that evil seems only to get its comeuppance at the end of time? And that in the meantime, we all have to just stay here and endure because we know, we know that this will happen again. Well, I think it is helpful in the aftermath of an event like this that, that creates an opportunity for debate and discussion about what must be done. It's helpful to remember that God's judgment is decisive. There is no debate here. It is very clear who the righteous are in this depiction in Matthew 25, in the judgment of the Son of Man. God does take a side. And the judgment of God, we see it over and over again, is that just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And so, the great Fred Rogers once said that we're supposed to look for the helpers in times of crisis, to not focus on, on the hurt and the pain and the trauma, but, but those who are helping, who are giving of themselves, who are sacrificing of themselves. And I think that's good advice. But I think the message of the gospel here today, a passage I chose many months ago, not knowing what would happen this week, but the passage today tells us that God isn't just on the side of the helpers. God is on the side of the weak 
and the defenseless. Christ is not hidden away in some seventh heaven. He is here among us. He is here among us in each of these little ones, in those who are without a home, without food, without shelter, those who suffer from illnesses, those who are imprisoned. Yes, even those who deserve to be in prison, they also are children of God. And believe it or not, I actually preached this very same passage way back in August. You don't remember that. I barely remembered that. But this was the last passage that we heard before we began this year-long series called God's Story and Our Story. And I thought it was important before we launched into the story of Scripture to remember that even when we read these stories where God appears to be absent or, or God's ways appear to be so strange to us, the assurance is always that God's judgment is true and that Christ is present even when we experience God's absence. And so all throughout this year, we have been hearing in Scripture about the presence of God in the Scriptures and thinking about how God is present in our own lives and how we are called to heed God's presence and to respond accordingly. Having heard all these stories now, we hear the instructions of Matthew 25 a little more clearly. They're almost like a a scorecard to see if you have stacked up uh, for salvation. Oftentimes this passage has been twisted uh, to mean many things, and of course the least of these could mean all sorts of things. But it's clear, it's clear that there are some very simple things that God wants us to do. Feed the hungry, visit the sick, care for the prisoner, protect the vulnerable. If you want to tell whether or not you are really following the way of God, then that's a good place to start. Another good place to start is to remember that all of these things that Jesus is saying, they are the exact opposite of what the people would have expected. In those days, the king... The king would have been served by obeisance and gifts, people coming to pay homage to the king. That is what people would have expected. That is how you would serve a king in glory on a throne. But the Son of Man says, no, you don't come to me on the throne. You don't come to the powerful and the well-to-do and try to curry their favor. The righteous go out. And they find the least of these. And they meet Christ there. Because God's ways are not like the world's ways. It's an important thing to remember. God, in this vision of, of, of God's kingdom, this beloved community that is something radically different than what we know, we're presented with a view of an alternative economy one that embraces the ideas of radical hospitality that we talk about here on Sunday morning, but also that embraces nonviolence and and sharing with the poor. It is about a fearless inclusiveness, but also the vulnerability that comes with that. 
We recognize that there will be times when we are put into situations that are difficult and hard, even terrible and sad, but we do so with the assurance of Psalm 121 in the back of our minds that we can always look to the hills, we can always look to the Lord and know that God keeps God's commandments, God is faithful and true even when we are not Jesus taught us to love one another. That was the other way that his vision for humanity was radically different from others. It wasn't just about abiding our neighbors. And I know we all have those neighbors that we just abide. But Jesus said we must love our neighbors. And there was no greater thing to do when it comes to love than to lay down one's own life, to make oneself vulnerable for the sake of another. And so on this Memorial Day weekend, we remember and we honor the sacrifice of those who have laid down their lives for the sake of their brothers. We honor those who have sacrificed in service to this nation in times of war. And not just in dying for the nation either, for those who have gone and done the killing for this nation and bear the stain of that upon their souls. That is a sacrifice, too, to do the things that we claim to want for the safety of our people, for the wealth and welfare of the nation. We send these young men and women off to war, and they come back, if they come back, often stained by that experience, too. And so we remember that sacrifice as well. The church is called to redeem that suffering to atone for it, not just by waving the flag, but for, by calling for that alternative economy, calling for an alternative to war, calling for the radical, nonviolent kingdom of God. But I'm also mindful of the ways in which so many lives seem to be sacrificed these days to other ideals of this American culture. I came across a, a an essay by a poet named Tess Taylor. It was written in 2018 after a shooting rampage at an elementary school in Rancho Tahama, California. Don't even remember it happening. But it was not unlike the one that we just experienced this past week. The top line of this essay was, was a simple question. Do we love our guns more than we love our children? Now, when you put it that way, it seems fairly clear what the judgment of God would be, which side of that we should come down on, that we should love our children, that they should be safe and protected. And of course, it is not just that God renders judgment upon those who actively undermine the good that God wills for this world. It is also those who actively avoid following through. It's not just those who make people homeless. It's those who fail to feed the hungry. It's those who fail to care for the sick. It's those who fail to visit the prison. They are just as accountable as those who inflict harm. And so God calls us to follow through, not just with our beliefs and our hearts, but with faithful and devoted action And so today, 
having heard God's story, having heard it woven into our own stories, believing that God is still alive and present with us, I would ask you, what, what will each of us individually and what will this church do to live out the radical hospitality, the radical nonviolence, the radical generosity and vulnerability that God calls us to? What are the things that we can do together that we may not be strong enough to do on our own? What are the things that we can do to make this vision of the world, this alternative vision, a reality and not just something we dream about for the end of days? There are some churches in this country who are holding events where they ask people in the community to bring guns, and they literally take a chop saw to those guns, and then they melt them down, and then they turn them into garden tools, literally turning swords into plowshares. There are churches that provide safe spaces for those who don't have homes, who don't have shelters. There are churches that provide food pantries or meals to the community, There are churches that that don't just visit people in prison, they provide a welcoming place for people who come out of prison to be welcomed and treated as one of their own, to be recognized not as evil or condemned criminals, but to say, you are a beloved child of God. There are all these ways in which a church could live out this commandment. And the thing is, is that it does not have to be some grand world-changing plan. Oftentimes this passage is about whatsoever you do for the least of these, as though it were this great crowd of the least of these. And it is hard to imagine how many there are in the world, but that's not what the scripture says. It says, whatever you have done for one of the least of these, one of the least of these, that's all, that's all it takes. And when we realize that we can just start with something as simple as helping one person in need, providing shelter for one person, providing food for one person, then we start to see that perhaps it is not so crazy, this radical vision of hospitality. Perhaps it is not so otherworldly as we often suspect. In the aftermath of the shooting this week, uh, Amanda Gorman uh, penned a poem called The Hymn for the Hurting. And it starts, everything hurts. Our hearts are shadowed and strange, our minds made muddied and mute. Everything hurts, it's a hard time to be alive, she says. But then she says, we must be altered. We must differ or die. We must triumph or try. While hate cannot be terminated, it can be transformed into a love that lets us live. And that is what the gospel is for. It is for transforming us, transforming us into vessels for the love of Christ that lets us live, that lets our neighbors live, that lets the least of these live. And so I pray today, I pray that we all may find in this moment, in the presence of God in the Word today, a new commitment, 
a new commitment to that radical alternative that Christ calls for, and that we may find ways to make that real and tangible in our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope that God's Word has come alive and blessed you today. If you want more information about Union Congregational Church, once again, feel free to come and visit us on Sunday morning or online at our website, churchbythepark.org.